Now, there are many different kinds of prayer that the Bible tells us about. But there is one specific type of prayer that the Bible talks about is the prayer that receives from God. It's known as the prayer of faith. In John chapter 15 and verse 7, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Notice it's conditional. He didn't just say if you're a Christian, if you love God. He said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, notice that, uh, and we, we say this over and over again. Notice how many times the word you is in this verse. So many times people think that, that answered prayer has to do with the will of God. But the Bible indicates to us, Jesus is telling us, if he, if he told us the truth, Jesus is telling us that you getting answers to your prayer has more to do with you than it does God. Now, the reason for that, and, and when you say that, some people will get offended and, and misunderstand what you're saying. But notice the conditions Jesus said were necessary for answered prayer. If you abide in me, that means relationship and fellowship. You're walking with the Lord. I don't think anybody's uh, prayer life is very successful if they're not in fellowship with God. Most of the surveys that they do, or at least have done recently about Christians who pray and versus the uh, percentage of Christians who have ever received an answer to prayer is staggering. Nearly every Christian says that he prays, but less than half of the ones surveyed say that they've ever gotten an answer to prayer. Something's not right there. Well, I don't think God's missing it on his end. Do you? God never changes. So the answer must be on our end. So one of the conditions is if you abide in me. He's talking about in fellowship with God. Not only being a child of God, but walking in fellowship with him. But the second condition is if, you, if my words abide in you. Now, if his word abides in you, you're not going to be asking for things that are outside of his will. Because God's word is his will. And the condition of answered prayer, one of the conditions of answered prayer, is for the word of God to abide in you. Or in other words, for his will to be known by you. Then he said, under those conditions, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. God can trust you with asking for your will, your needs, your desires, your wants to be met when his word abides in you. I don't think pleasing God is, is some narrow little lane that, that you just barely squeeze by and, and can just barely get through. Pleasing God is easy. It's all dependent on his word. So he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Notice verse 8. Herein, in other words, by you receiving the answers to your prayers. Herein is my father glorified. Notice God's not glorified when you're barely making it. God's not glorified when you're suffering. God's not glorified when you're beat down by the circumstances of life. Jesus said, herein, you getting your prayers answered, you asking according to your will and receiving the answers to those prayers. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Now, the fruit that he's talking about here is not good works. He's talking about the results of the previous, of the action in the previous verse. He's talking about prayer fruit. He's talking about prayer results. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God is glorified when you get your prayers answered. God wants your prayers to be answered when you abide in him and he, his word abides in you. And notice he says this. He said, so shall you be my disciples. 
the church should be known by their answered prayer. Now, that doesn't fit the surveys. I mean, for Christians to be identified as rarely, if ever, less than half the time getting an answer to prayer, that's not showing that we're disciples of his, is it? Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Now, we've uh, identified four steps that are necessary for answered prayer or to get an answer to your prayer. And we've gone over the first two steps over the last couple of weeks, and we want to cover step three today or at least start on it. Step number one is decide what you want from God. You need to be specific about what you're praying for. Decide what you want from God. And then you need to find scriptures that promise you those things. Now, remember the, the qualification Jesus mentioned is, is, is if my word abides in you. Well, how is his word going to abide in you if you don't know from the word of God what his will is concerning your desire or your request? Decide what you want from God and find scriptures that promise you those things. And get those scriptures on the inside of you, not just in your mind, but in your heart. You're going to have to meditate in them. Joshua 1.8 talks about making your way prosperous by meditating and doing the word. He's talking about using the word of God to fill your heart, to fill your spirit, to make it a part of you so that you can get the results that it promises. Then the final part of the step number one is be ready to use those scriptures against the devil when he comes because he will. He will. He'll try to rob you of everything that Jesus purchased for you. So you have to prepare yourself for the fight. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, it says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Now, the eternal life he's talking about there in 1 Timothy 6, 12 is not salvation in the sense of, of being saved. There's no fight of faith to get saved. It's a very simple process. You believe that Jesus died on the cross and was raised again from the dead for your benefit and you confess him as your Lord and Savior. There's no fight of faith to that. Besides that, it would be foolish for him to talk to Timothy who's already saved, filled with the Spirit and in the ministry about how to get saved. Well, what does he mean then when he talks about laying hold of eternal life? And why does he make a connection between the fight of faith and laying hold on eternal life? Because he's telling us that everything that Jesus purchased for you as a believer, everything that Jesus purchased through his death, burial, and resurrection, the shedding of his blood, is going to come to you through faith. It's the only way it can come to you. Jesus purchased healing for us by taking stripes upon himself. Well, that healing belongs to you. But you're going to receive it one and only one way, and that is through faith. And there's going to be a fight attached to that. And if you're not willing to fight, and if you're not willing to fight effectively according to the rules that the Bible lays out concerning faith, then you're not going to lay hold on the blessings of eternal life, which include healing, prosperity, peace, and so forth. There's a fight attached to it. Well, too many people are going into this, and every Christian is in a fight. Not every Christian acknowledges they're in a fight, and certainly not every Christian is prepared for the fight. But every one of us is in the fight. We're going to have to resist the devil. We're going to have to overcome the devil. We're going to have to work diligently according to the rules that the Bible lays out to take hold of anything and everything that God has provided for us through Jesus. Well, the more preparation you can put or make, 
to prepare for that fight, the more effective you're going to be in winning the fight. That's why you have to find the scriptures that promise you what you want from God. That's why you have to make them a part of your spirit and not just a part of your mind. That's why you have to be ready to use those scriptures against the devil when he comes. Now, the second step is the prayer itself. That's over in Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Jesus tells us how the prayer of faith works. Step number two is ask God for what you want, what you found scriptures that promise you. Ask God for what you want and believe that you receive those things when you pray. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Why don't you look with me over to Mark chapter 11 because we want to see both the 23rd and the 24th verses related to our subject this morning. Jesus has just changed the circumstances that affected him. He found a fig tree that should have been producing fruit, looked like it was producing fruit, looked like it would be fruitful, but it just had leaves on it and no fruit. So he cursed it. He commanded it to wither and dry up from the roots. He said, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Next morning, the disciples and Jesus comes walking by that place and find that the fig tree is dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. There must be a question implied there. He must be asking from Jesus' response. He must be asking, how'd this happen? What's up with this? Because Jesus explains to him, and he says, beginning in verse 22, have faith in God. Well, so what's he talking about? He's talking about faith. Now, in what context is he talking about faith? Faith that changes circumstances. Faith that removes unproductive or unfruitful circumstances from your life. That's what he did. He removed an unfruitful circumstance in his life. He removed a barrier or a hindrance To him having his needs met, all he wanted was to eat some figs. Folks, you need to understand something. God put the earth here to serve you, not for man to worship. Now, I'm sure the environmental groups would have been in an uproar that Jesus cursed the fig tree, poor little tree. But Jesus, who's operating as the God's representative here on the earth, seemed to understand that the earth is here and everything in the earth was here to provide for mankind and not the other way around. So Jesus says, have faith in God. He's explaining how he changed the circumstances. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, it works for whosoever's. Now, if you're whosoever, it'll work for you. Notice he didn't say the special ones. Notice he didn't say this works for me because I'm the son of God, but don't you try this. He said whosoever, so it tells us it's a principle that applies to everybody. Verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. So it doesn't just work on trees, it works on mountains. Now, I don't believe that God's really interested in us rearranging the geography of the world. I don't see how that's going to really make a big difference to us. Of course, there are some countries I'd like to see fall into the ocean. (laughs) 
Never thought about it from that standpoint, but nevertheless, I digress. He's talking about things that look bigger than you seem to be able to handle. Things that would seem to be impossible. He said, faith will work even on those things. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Notice the qualification he puts on it. And shall not doubt in his heart. But instead shall believe. Well, if he's talking about doubting in his heart, must be talking about believing in his heart. But instead shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice what is, what's uh, required of you to believe. In order for faith to work for you, you're going to have to believe that your words come to pass. Then he tells us about the prayer of faith in verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, because faith works by believing in your heart and saying with your mouth, in other words. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Sounds like a pretty wide range of things what things soever you desire when you pray believe that you receive them meaning the things you desire and you shall have them meaning the things you desire now everybody's question about faith is when that's what everybody's problem is any if you offered people an opportunity to ask questions about faith 99.99 percent of them is going to be about time When is it going to happen? Well, Jesus told us something about when. But notice he didn't tell us about when regarding the results. He told us about when regarding the believing. Now, there's a reason for that because the results are not your responsibility. The results are the responsibility of the principle that God set in motion that cannot be changed. And the principle of faith is just as real in my opinion, more real and just as true, in my opinion, more true than the law of gravity. You can expect the law of gravity to work every day, can't you? You can expect the sun rising in the east every day because these are principles that God set in motion. They're things that God established and man can't change them. Well, here's another principle that God set in motion. If you believe that your words will come to pass, you'll have whatever you say. That's a principle that cannot be changed. The devil can't change it. God won't change it. And man can't change it. So what are we to do? Well, notice what Jesus told us because of that principle. Here's how time works. Therefore, I say unto you again, verse 24, what things soever you desire, when you pray, When you pray, that means while you're praying, believe that you receive them, the things you desire, and you shall have them. You believe you receive when you pray, not when you see it, not when you feel it, not when it looks like it changes. Jesus believed the tree was as good as dead the day before the disciples ever saw it withered and dried up from the roots. Now that brings us to step number three. You've decided what you want from God. You've found scriptures that promise them to you. You've got those scriptures, that made those scriptures a part of your heart and get prepared to use them against the devil when he comes. Step number two is to pray. Ask God for what you want. Believe you receive them when you ask or when you pray. Step number three is where the prayer fight starts. The devil may 
hinder you or distract you a little bit when it comes to deciding what you want and putting the word of God on the inside of your heart. But he can't really stop you from doing that, so all he'll do is just harass you a bit here and there. He doesn't really bother you too much when you pray, other than maybe a little bit of needling. You don't really think this is going to happen and so forth. But that's not where he does his work. Step one and step two, he leaves you pretty much alone. Step number three, after you end your prayer, after you say amen, that's where his fight and his battle begins. Step number three is very simple. Keep your heart from doubt. Notice in verse 23 of Mark chapter 11 again, Jesus said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. And shall not doubt in his heart. Here's where the prayer battle consists. Here's where the devil's work really operates the most strongly. And that is, he will work overtime trying to get you to doubt. Now he's talking about doubt in his heart. What is doubt in his heart? If we don't define our terms, then we won't know how he's going to operate against us. Well, faith is of the heart. And the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that means if you believe in your heart, you're going to be saying according to what God's word says. If you believe God's word, if you put God's word on the inside of you, then you're going to speak in line with what God's word says. That's faith exercised from the heart. Well, then what's doubt of the heart? Doubt is to speak anything contrary to God's word. It's to speak anything according to what you see and feel. Anything that contradicts the truth of God's word or what you prayed for. Now, the important issue when it comes to doubt in your heart is your words. But your words are governed by your thoughts. You speak according to what you see. I want to let that sink in. Because every one of us thinks something. Words create pictures. God made us to have imaginations. It's a part of our spirit. And so your words are affected by what you see. Now, for example, if you're worried about something, if you're worried about losing your job, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are around you. It doesn't matter what's going on with somebody else in their job or their situation or whatever. If you're worried about losing your job, then you're going to start talking about losing your job because it creates a picture. Those thoughts create pictures on the inside of you. That's the reason why the devil speaks to your mind. He's trying to create thoughts on the inside of you that contradict God's word so that you'll speak in line with those thoughts. So let me give you some information about your thought life. Here's the, here's the goal. Let every thought and desire affirm that you have what you asked for. That's what creates and produces successful prayer. Let every thought and desire affirm that you have what you asked for. Never permit a mental picture of failure to be in your mind. That's what the devil will do. He'll show you pictures of you failing. You're going to have to remove those pictures. If doubts persist, and they will, rebuke them. Call them by name. Say, doubt I resist you in Jesus' name. Destroy every image, every vision, every suggestion, every feeling, 
and every thought that does not contribute to what you believe. Now, I want you to look with me to, uh, to a couple of scriptures. First of all, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I think most Christians underestimate the importance of your thought life when it comes to your walk with God. And so often we emphasize the fact that man is spirit, soul, and body. We emphasize the spiritual part of man, the eternal part of man, which is right and we should. But it leaves some people with the impression that the thought life is really not that important. But it's of great, it's of, of tremendous importance. Notice Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, well, let's just start reading at verse 3. Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. In other words, he's saying no matter what's going on around you, no matter what hindrance, what physical hindrances are, are in front of you, no matter what the problems is that you can see and feel, that's not really your problem. That's not the thing to fight against. Because every spiritual, every physical hindrance and problem has a spiritual solution. Jesus didn't fight against the fig tree. He cursed it. He didn't complain about the fig tree. He cursed it. He didn't go get a chainsaw to remove the fig tree. He cursed it. He realized that there was a spiritual solution to the physical problem. So Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, and we all do, we don't war after the flesh. Well, then where is our fight? We know that we're in a fight because Paul told us to fight the good fight of faith. So where is the warfare? Where is the fight that we're involved in? Notice he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning not natural, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, what strongholds is he talking about? Well, he's got to be talking about the work of the devil. We wouldn't be pulling down God's strongholds, would we? That'd be a waste of time and counterproductive too. So the pulling down of strongholds he's talking about are the strongholds of the enemy. Now, folks, there's all kinds of teaching out there about spiritual warfare and, and so forth and so on. And most of the spiritual warfare teaching that I'm aware of is about doing battle with the enemy in prayer. And somehow or another, you're going to change the devil's power, the devil's demonic setup, the principalities and powers and so forth through the prayer that you pray, the effective prayer that you pray. Now, if that were true, this would be a perfect opportunity for Paul to describe how we can pray and change the devil's organizational setup. Because he's telling us that we have spiritual weapons. Our weapons are not carnal. They're weapons of warfare. But they're not carnal. They're not natural. They're not physical. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Well, if they're not natural, if they're not physical, then they've got to be spiritual. What are these spiritual weapons that undoes the strongholds or the strong places of the enemy? I always think when I read this verse of scripture, I always think about the time that I spent uh, with some friends in Normandy, France. And it shows where the enemy's defenses were set up and how they were built into these great big bunkers. They had these huge, huge cannons built into these great big bunkers on the side of a cliff. And on D-Day, the invasion was 
had the only possibility it had success if they removed those guns. And so the rangers, the army rangers, were tasked with scaling the walls, and this thing was just a sheer cliff, to get up there to undo the strongholds of the, the, the defenses, defense capabilities of the enemy. Well, I always think about that when I read this word strongholds. It helps me visualize something. Because it's the, the strongholds of the enemy are places where he has set up his defenses to keep you from advancing into the things that God has provided for you. It's his line of defense to stop you from gaining access into what Jesus has already provided. So Paul says we've got spiritual weapons. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural. They're not physical. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, to the removing of those defenses. Well, if you remove those defenses, then you can go forward into everything that Jesus has provided. You can win the fight of faith and take possession of everything that Jesus purchased. Do you understand the point? Well, what are those strongholds? Where are we to attack? What are the weapons that we have been given and what are the strongholds that we're supposed to overcome? Notice verse 5. Well, we'll read it in, in context. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How do we do that? What weapons do we have to do that with? Casting down imaginations. Folks, the biggest fight you're ever going to have with the devil is not out in the spirit realm somewhere, somehow. The biggest fight you're going to have with the devil is not going to be in prayer, trying to undo or unloose or unhinge his organizational structure. The biggest fight you're ever going to have with the devil is between your ears. It's in your mind, casting down imaginations. Notice the strongholds are the wrong thoughts that have produced the wrong pictures, pictures of failure and defeat instead of victory. Those are the strongholds that we're to overcome, and those are the strongholds that keep you from receiving and walking in everything Jesus has provided. So we've got spiritual weapons to cast down or to, to pull down strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, folks, I want to tell you something right now. And that is, if you do not have the ability to bring every thought into captivity, then God lied. It's so easy for us to say, well, I just can't. Well, yeah, you can. You just may have chosen not to. And so many times people want to put it off on the devil or some special attack that's coming against them. But the Bible says you have the ability, the means, the spiritual wherewithal to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of God's word. In other words, you can think in line with God's word if you choose to do so. You can think thoughts of failure instead of thoughts of defeat. You can think in line with what God's word says is yours instead of, oh, I can't do it. It's too big for me. You can do it if you will do it. Now, for whom is the Bible 
less powerful than the devil? Is there any situation where the devil is more powerful than God's word? Well, doesn't God's word say that you can do it then? Well, then what excuse can we make for not doing it other than we decided we didn't want to? Now, I've had some people say, well, Pastor Mike, that's just too hard. Well, okay. How do you respond to that? It may be difficult. It sure is difficult when you first start out. But it's doable. So let every thought, every desire, affirm that you have what you've asked for. Think in line with God's word. Now, again, the reason this is so important is if you don't think in line with God's word, you won't talk in line with God's word. Now, let me, before we go any further, as a matter of fact, I want you to, uh, why don't you go ahead and turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. Here's one of the greatest Bible examples of controlling your thoughts and speaking in line with God's word that we have record of in all of Scripture. But let me tell you this. You can't control what thoughts come to your mind. And so often the devil will bring a thought of doubt to you and then try to make you feel condemned because it's your thought, telling you it's your thought. Well, it's only your thought if you accept it and and begin to consider it. It's just like this. You can't control who knocks on your front door. But it's up to you who you invite into the living room. That's the way thoughts work when the devil brings them. You can't stop him from bringing a thought of doubt to you. But you can decide whether or not you'll entertain that thought of doubt. Now, we all know that the Bible says in several places, both Old Testament and New Testament, that we walk by faith and not by sight. This is why this is so important is because your thoughts control what you see. So you'll walk according to what you see, whether it's from the spirit realm or from the natural realm. Walking by sight is referring to walking according to the circumstances or what we see and feel in the natural realm. Walking by faith is seeing something with your spiritual eye that your natural eye can't see. Now in Numbers chapter 13, I love this story. It tells about how God brought the children of Israel to the promised land. Now, you remember the the story earlier about uh, or what had happened previously when God had delivered Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. He did the plagues in Egypt, the ten plagues in Egypt, and and showed his power to his people. Then it came to the place where Pharaoh finally said, okay, go get out of here. We don't want to see you anymore. And so they started off on their journey, but then Pharaoh changed his mind, decided he wanted to kill everybody. So that brings them to the Red Sea. And God provided, performed one of the greatest miracles at the hands of Moses that we have record of in all of Scripture. He parted the Red Sea. He created a barrier between Israel and Pharaoh's armies so that Israel could walk across on dry ground. And when Pharaoh's armies chased after him into the sea, the waters came back together and drowned them all. Now, following that, God takes them into the, toward the promised land. He's given them the law. They get to Mount Sinai and he gives them the law. They're already messing up. They, they you know, want the golden calf and Aaron does that for them and all 
There's a whole story surrounding that. But they come to the place where the promised land is just across the Jordan River. So Moses elects, at the instruction of God, Moses elects 12 people, one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, to go into the promised land to spy out the land. Now Moses' intent is for these 12 spies to go in and figure out what the best way to take the land would be. But they come back. The 12 spies come back to the children of Israel after spending 40 days in the promised land looking it over. And they're carrying the fruit of the land. From the brook of Eskel, they're bringing back a cluster of grapes that they put on a pole and carry between two guys. So I assume that means this was a huge cluster of grapes that they've never seen before. It was certainly something that they wanted the people to witness for themselves. So it represented the abundance of the land. They brought back pomegranates and other fruit that they found. And the 12 spies said together that this is a land that's flowing with milk and honey just like God said. But then they're divided. Ten of the 12 spies want to say something else about the land. Now remember the difference between walking by faith and walking by sight. Because you're going to see the perfect example here. Two of them are walking by faith. Ten of them are walking by sight. So we'll start reading in uh, verse 27, Numbers chapter 13. And they told him and said, We came into the land whether thou sentest us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Now these are the ten spies speaking in uh, unison, or one is speaking on behalf of the ten, or whatever the case is. Nevertheless, verse 28, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great, And moreover, we saw these children of Anak there. Now, folks, that's a fact. They haven't done anything wrong yet. They're just simply saying, you sent us into the land to spy it out. Here's what we found. It's a land that flows with milk and honey, but there are cities with walls around them, and the children of Anak are there. They haven't done anything wrong yet. But they're working themselves up to it. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Again, they haven't said anything that's wrong so far. They're just telling what the circumstances are that exist in the promised land. But now notice what it says. This gives us a little picture of what's taking place among the people. It says, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses. Why does it tell us that Caleb stilled the people? What does that mean? It means he's quieting them down. I want you to notice what's happening as the ten spies are telling the circumstances of the land that they found. The people are starting to get agitated. Folks, you need to understand something. This is a principle. This is the way God made us. The more you talk about the circumstances, the more agitated you're going to get. You want to walk in peace, the peace of God? Don't talk to circumstances. Caleb stilled the people. He quietened them down. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It, was a land, it is a land that flows with milk and honey. That's true. And there are people there and there are cities with walls around them. The Malachites and all these other people are there. Sure. But notice Caleb stills the people. He gets back over to something else that he sees. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. Now, Caleb and Joshua are the two, two of the 12 spies that saw everything that the other 10 did. But they saw it through a different filter. 
They saw it in a different way. They're really looking at the land as the land that God said was theirs. The ten spies apparently went into the land waiting to see what they were going to find. I don't know what they were expecting. Were they expecting a desert? Were they expecting a land where nobody lived? God had already told Moses that that wasn't the case. He told Moses what the land was that he was leading them to. He told them about the Malachites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Jebusites. He told them that all those people were there. They knew this. This is not new information. Maybe it was the walls around the city of Jericho that freaked them out. I don't know. But whatever it was, they're letting the circumstances become bigger in their eyes than what God said about the land being theirs. But not Caleb and Joshua. Caleb steals the people, quiets them down and says, let's go up and take it right away. Let's quit wasting time. We've been in the wilderness long enough. It's taken us two and a half years to get from Egypt to this place. I'm ready to settle down. Let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to, to possess it. It doesn't matter how big the, the walls of the city around. It doesn't matter how big the walls are around the city of Jericho. Don't you remember what God did to the Red Sea? If he can part the Red Sea, he can part the walls. See, Caleb sees something different. Caleb's walking by faith. Caleb's walking according to what God said. What did God say? The promised land is yours. Caleb looks at these people as trespassers. He looks at the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites as trespassers on his land. That's a good way to look at things. So he steals the people and says, let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome them. But the men, here's the, 12, here's the 10 of the 12. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Now notice the progression that takes place here. They start off telling what they saw in the land. Land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the fruit of it. Man, it's a good place. Not a problem there. Circumstances are lining up with God's word. Speaking those circumstances is okay. Then he says, but the people that live there have cities with walls around them and they're strong and a lot of people and big trouble and so forth. You can see that the circumstances are starting to affect their thinking. But so far they haven't spoken out against God. But when Caleb speaks up and says, let's go take the land because we're able to overcome it. God's on our side. So it doesn't matter what's in there. Doesn't matter who the people are. Doesn't matter what the walls are around the city. None of that stuff matters because God's already told us it's ours. That's when the 10 speak up and say what they've been looking at for the last number of days. They've been looking at the circumstances and allowing the circumstances to determine what they see on the inside. They said, we are not able to overcome it because the people are stronger than us. Now, can I ask you a question? Was that ever in question? Whether the people were stronger than them? Wasn't Pharaoh's army stronger than them? Why does that matter? I mean, unless they're going to fight them themselves without God's help, what difference would that make? So they said, we can't do it. 
Now they've rebelled against God. Saying that you can't do what the Bible says is already yours is rebelling against God. We'll see it. Let's keep reading. But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report. What's the evil report? Saying that they couldn't do what God said that they could. Can I ask you a question? Isn't that what the devil says to you constantly? That you can't have what the Bible says is yours? That you can't do what Jesus said you could do? That's all he talks is evil reports. All he speaks is things contrary to the word. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel saying... The land through which we have gone up to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw. Notice how many times it speaks of what they saw. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Notice what they're defining and identifying their situation. They're telling what the problem is. They're saying we let the things that we saw in the promised land affect how we see ourselves and our enemies and our abilities on the inside. What you think determines what you see and what you see determines what you say. That's why the rule in keeping your heart from doubt is you're going to have to control your thoughts. You're going to have to control what you see on the inside. Let every thought and desire affirm that you have what you've asked for. Never permit a mental picture of failure or defeat to enter your mind. Never. If doubts persist, rebuke them. And they will persist. Rebuke them. Remove every thought that contradicts the word of God and the answer to your prayer. Resist it. And replace it with what the word says. Now in order to do that, you're going to have to meditate constantly on those scriptures that you base your prayer on. Meditate constantly on those scriptures that you base your prayer on. The devil wants to change everything you see about yourself and about your situation because he's after your words. Remember you're governed by your words. The, the rest of this story is very simply this. Joshua speaks up in chapter 14. The congregation begins to cry about it. They lifted up their voice and wept all night. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Joshua speaks up. He's the other of the two spies, two of the twelve. Caleb, which Caleb and Joshua who were men of faith. Joshua spoke up and said, if the Lord delight in us, this is verse 8 of chapter 14, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Now, what is, it, what is going to determine whether or not God delights in them, whether or not they walk according to his word, whether or not they speak his word and believe his word and act on his word? That's what brings results. James said it this way, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, for the doer of the word is blessed in his deed. How do you do the word? Well, you believe it, you accept it, you speak it, 
then you act on it. You do what it says to do. That's all it takes to delight in God, for God to delight in you. That's all it takes. Just stick, hold fast to the word. So he said, if the Lord delight in us, then he'll bring us into this land and give it unto us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Verse 9, only rebel not against the Lord. How are they rebelling against the Lord? By speaking evil, which is doubt and unbelief. Hebrews, in referring back to this story, says, take heed that there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, as was in this day, the day of provocation. The day of uh, the evil heart of unbelief is saying, I can't do what the Bible says I can do. The Bible, the, the evil heart of unbelief is saying, I can't have what Jesus says is mine. It's saying, I can't receive what the Bible says belongs to me. That's an evil heart of unbelief. So if you're going to keep your heart from doubt or from unbelief, you're going to have to stop yourself from saying anything contrary to the scripture that you based your prayer on, that you made a part of your spirit now that you have to use against a we- use as a weapon against the enemy. You're going to have to control your thoughts. Now, thoughts are governed by certain things. Thoughts are governed by observations, associations, and teachings. The things that you see will affect what you think, and then that will affect what you say. You ever been into the mall and all of a sudden walked by one of these Mrs. Fields cookies places or something like that? All of a sudden, you got a whiff of something coming out of the oven, and it's like your everything in your life becomes cookie. <laughs> well, you weren't thinking cookie before then. What happened? You, one of your five physical senses was influenced by the circumstances, and that influenced your thinking, and that influences your behavior in many cases. It takes everything that you've got to keep your feet moving forward and not stop and turn in and buy everything full of sugar that you can find. Now, advertisers know this. That's why they make their food look a lot better in the commercials than it looks in real life. I I read somewhere one time, I, I, I assume this is true, but I read one time where after doing commercials and stuff like that, food commercials for so many years, Hollywood has written into their script or written into their contract, excuse me, that whenever they are shooting a commercial with food, they've got to provide the same food for the actors and the crew. Now, this is not because they're just spoiled little brats. They are. But it's because being around food all day makes you think food your association with the, the, the food being shot in the commercial makes you, creates a desire in you to have that food for yourself because thoughts are governed by the things you hang around. So if you're going to be effective in prayer and fight the good fight of faith effectively, successfully, there are some people, there are some places that you just are not going to be able to hang around. Because if you're a person that's walking by faith, whether it's in a general sense or a specific sense to get your prayer answered, and you're hanging around people that walk by sight, the only thing you're going to hear from them are things relating to what they see and they feel. Well, if you allow yourself to be around that for any extended period of time whatsoever, that'll affect what you see 
and what you think and what you say. If you're going to be effective in fighting the good fight of faith, there are some churches you can't go to. It never has made sense to me how that somebody would come to our church, get filled with the Holy Ghost, or get, receive their healing, and go right back to the same old dead church that they came from that tells them that what they got is from the devil. And over a period of time, not instantly, but over a period of time, usually a short period of time, what they received either becomes of little or no value to them or they lose it altogether. And then the people that told them it was of the devil to begin with says, well, see, you didn't receive your healing in the first place. So I guess that sickness just took a break for those weeks or months that it wasn't there. But then it comes back because they've associated themselves with unbelief. And in every case I've ever seen, it comes back in a worse condition or they're in a worse condition than they were, than they were before this started. Thoughts are governed by observations, associations, and teachings. There's some things you can't listen to if you're going to be effective in faith, walking in faith, fighting the good fight of faith. Now, the next part of this, keeping your heart from doubt, we've talked about thinking the right things or removing the wrong thoughts from your mind. How do you replace the wrong thoughts with the right thoughts? Well, that comes back to meditating in the Word. Meditate constantly on the Scriptures that promise you what you've asked God for. See yourself with the answer. Folks, this is so important. See yourself with the answer and make plans accordingly as if the answer was already a reality. Now turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 22. I hope you know what these scriptures say. I hope you've got them marked in your Bible. And more importantly than that, I hope you've got them memorized and made a part of your heart. Because even in the Old Testament, God gave you a means for success. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 20, it says, My son, attend unto my words. Now, to attend to something means to give your attention to it. To give your attention to it. If you choose to attend church or to attend a play or attend a concert, whatever it is you choose to attend, that means you have made a determination by your will that you're not going to let anything get in the way of, a, of, of showing up at a certain time in a certain place. You're giving your attention to that. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't other options for you. Doesn't mean there aren't other good things that you could choose to do instead. But you've chosen what is most important for you or that which meets your desire. And so you give your full attention to that so that you're at the right place at the right time. Well, when it comes to the fight of faith, when it comes to walking with God, the word of God is the right place at the right time. So the word of God is being is given to us, my son, attend to my words give your attention to my words doesn't mean there aren't other things you can't think about doesn't mean there aren't other things that you could say instead it doesn't mean there aren't other things that you could occupy yourself with doing some of those you could even tell yourself would be good things but if you're going to be successful in your walk with god if you're going to be successful in winning the fight of faith if the fight of faith is going to be a good fight for you and for me the only good fight there is is the one i win I don't enjoy being in a contest that 
cost me a lot and I have to exert a lot of energy and I don't win. Losing is not an option spiritually. So when Paul talked about fight the good fight of faith, he's got to be talking about a winning fight, doesn't he? I mean, Paul's not a loser. He's not of the attitude that so much of the world seems to be now that it's the competition that matters. Paul wasn't into participation trophies spiritually. He was into victories. So my son, attend to my words. Give attention to my words. How do you do that? Well, first of all, you incline your ear into his things. You listen to what the word of God says. Now, this is not talking about it being the only thing that you listen to. It's talking about it being the final word for you. There are many voices in the air, Paul told us, and none are without signification. You know as well as I do that the devil is always there to tell you something that contradicts the word. Well, what are you going to incline your ear to? You've got God's word, which he leaves up to you to speak to yourself. And you've got the devil, which will speak doubt and unbelief continually. You know, it's an interesting thing. Doubt and unbelief are almost default positions for most of the church world. Because the devil is there all the time reminding you of reasons why the word of God won't work. But God's word is not that way. Notice the Holy Ghost does not treat the word of God the same way the devil treats doubt and unbelief. The Holy Ghost is not always there reminding you of the word. He leaves that up to you. And it's not going to happen unless you choose to make it happen. And this is the place. I don't know how God does it. God has to put up with so much junk from so many of his children questioning why did god let this happen why did god do this why is this happening to me and so on and so forth and god gives you a means a vehicle a way for success in every situation but it takes work and too many christians unfortunately are not willing to put in the work they'd rather sit back and complain they'd rather sit back and and say god i don't know why this is happening to me I asked you to heal my body. Well, the Bible says in Psalm 107, verse 20, that he sent his word and healed them. In other words, healing comes through the word. Well, I don't want it that way, Pastor Mike. I just want to ask God and have him do it. That's like going to the lottery office and saying, I don't want to pick the numbers. I just want the money. (laughs) But when Christians do things like that, they're asking God to violate his word. Well, God can't answer a prayer like that. How is he supposed to answer that kind of prayer? Lord, healing is through your word. Healing is received by faith, but I don't want to have to believe you for anything. I just want you to do it for me. Now, if you want success, my son attended to my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Listen to what I say about it. God's word is the final authority. We have the privilege of making it the final authority for us. Let them, my words, here's the point that I was trying to get to. Let them, my words, not depart from before your eyes. Now that does not mean keep your face in the Bible all day long. 
It means see yourself with what the Bible says is yours. See, if you're believing for healing and the devil's telling you you can't have it, but you choose to meditate on the word of God and attend to his word instead, then if you're meditating on the word of God that says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with with his stripes you were healed, then it would be impossible for you not to see yourself well. The more you say what God's word says about you and about your healing and about your situation, the bigger and bigger and bigger the picture of victory and success becomes on the inside of you. That's what I mean by see yourself with the answer. See yourself with the answer. See yourself with what God's word promises. Make preparations for victory. My son, attend unto my words, incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. How do you keep something in the midst of your heart? Well, again, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the way you keep the word of God in your heart is continue to say it. And the more you say it, the more your picture of victory and success builds on the inside of you. The more you see yourself with the answer. That's how you keep your heart from doubt is by keeping the word of God in your mouth instead. Why do you want to do all this? Sounds like a lot of work. Verse 22, for they, my words, are life unto those that find them. Remember again what we referred to in uh, 1 Peter or 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 where Paul said, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. He's talking about the same kind of life here. He's talking about all the blessings and all the benefits that were derived or purchased by the blood of Jesus. For they, my words, are life unto those that find them. Not everybody's going to find them, folks, because it takes work. It takes meditating in the word. It takes speaking the word of God. It takes thinking in line with the word of God. It takes seeing yourself with the answer. But they are there to be found. For they are life unto those that find them. And health or medicine to all their flesh. Notice he goes on to say in the next verse, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence. Keep your heart with all diligence. Have you ever noticed nothing much works if you're not diligent at it? Keep your heart with all diligence. Remember our third step is keep your heart from doubt. Jesus said whosoever shall say. Under this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Here it's saying keep your heart with all diligence. You have to determine to say the right things. To think the right things. To see yourself with the right things. Keep your heart with all diligence. Why do we want to do that? Because out of it are the issues of life. The issues of life. In other words... The power of God is in your words. And your words are a reflection of what's in your heart. Folks, you can determine right now, this day, that you'll never have another prayer go unanswered. Your prayer life is not supposed to be hit and miss. It's supposed to be a sure thing every time. And if you follow these steps to answered prayer, it will be. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to pray and know that we hear that you hear us. And if we know you hear us, then we know that we have the answers that we desired of you. Thank you, Father, that the greater one lives on the inside of us.
Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Thank you that the life of God dwells in us. And that life enables us to walk according to your divine unchanging principle, your eternal principle, that we're governed by our words. Therefore, we say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. We say that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. We say that Jesus was made poor for our sakes, that through his poverty we are made rich. We say, Father, that all of these things are ours. It may not look like it. We may not feel like it. But we declare that the word of God is true. And as we continue to confess your word, to speak your word, and to see ourselves with all that your word says is ours, we thank you, Father, that you make it so. And it becomes a reality in our lives. Lord Jesus, it's such a privilege to walk by faith. And not by sight. We love you Lord. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus name. If you can agree with that prayer say amen. 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 Let's all stand together. Say this with me. The greater one lives in me. The life of God is in me. The Holy Ghost is in me. He's my teacher. He's my guide. He leads me into victory. He leads me into receiving by faith all that Jesus purchased through his sacrifice. Healing is mine. Victory is mine. Abundance is mine. Peace is mine. Well-being in every area is mine through the work of Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Let's just worship him a moment. Lord, we magnify your name. We worship you, Lord. What a privilege it is to walk by faith, Lord, to walk according to your word. Knowing that out of our heart, through our words, are the issues of life. Blessed be your holy name. Blessed be your holy name. Blessed be your holy name. Hallelujah. You know, all those things the devil's telling you about you're not going to make it is a lie. All that stuff he's telling you you're not going to receive your healing, that's a lie. All that he's saying is you're not going to make it financially, that's a lie. And all it takes to overcome a lie is the truth. The problem is for many people he's speaking the lie louder than they're speaking the truth. Thank God for the truth of God's word. Amen. Well, say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.